and thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In, your podcast on the IMDb 250. I am your host, Tyler Hannon, probably plotting your demise right now so that I can soundtrack your funeral and steal your work. And with me today is not, not this is actually uh, kind of unusual, there's no Kayla today for the first time. I think I have missed a podcast, but Kayla has never not been on a podcast. And so we brought the vice president of the Chris Evans fan club on, Ben Rettenhouse. Hello. Ben, how's it going today? It's good. Are, are you ready to uh, stand? Are you ready to stump for Chris Evans and the, without our uh, my esteemed co-host here, who is pretty much number one in Chris Evans? Well, no, Chris Evans is number one in her heart always. But uh, right, I just, no, we her and I got together and, and talked about it and wanted to make sure that Chris is fairly represented here. Okay. So I think I think it'll be, I think we're good. Well, I kind of hate you two, both of you for that, uh, just for bringing them up all the time, but I'm glad you're prepared. Uh, I'm sure someone out there will be happy that Chris Evans comes up God, again. But first, we wanted to talk about something you've recently watched that does not have Chris Evans in it. I think Chris Evans' agent is probably like really happy that we exist. <laughs> we this is It's just like the IMDb thing, where like, at least toss us a bone, like, can we get an IMDb Pro account for free? Can we get, I don't know, a Chris Evans muscle shirt worn, right. maybe something worn during that wood shopping scene, you know, just like toss us one of those. It whatever. makes no sense. How is the midriff so tight, but his shoulders are so broad? It's, it's something literally out of a comic book. It's <laughs> unfathomable. Like, I don't understand. I thought DC was the one that was like sticking to the comic proportions of our superheroes, but Marvel, Marvel, they're no slouches over there when it comes to absurd body forms but not chris evans though not chris evans batman versus superman we are really fresh really fresh takes on this you know you know right it's very topical right now with the movie having been out for a couple weeks <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't think anyone's talked about it yet so. yeah it's this little is the little film that could you know nobody thought it would make anything and then it made something and everybody's money to justify its budget yet <laughs> But yeah, I I only just saw this a week ago because I refused to give it money the first couple of weekends, and also I couldn't bring myself to see it. When did you see it? Have you have you seen it like several times already? Are you watching I, no. it right now? I've seen it twice. Okay, twice. Jesus. Yes, because I okay. So first I saw it. I saw it um, the day before it opened because you know they do the theaters do these weird preview things now. Yeah. Where it's like this movie opens on the 25th, except for like a full day of screenings on the 24th, which it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Like, what day does the movie open? You know, but um, yeah, it so used I, to be a midnight screening, and now it's like 7 p.m., 10 p.m., and midnight. At, I saw it at four o'clock the day before it opened because I had the day off. It's really crazy how it broke all those box office records when these movies are opening early and earlier and costing right? more and more. Like. It's so crazy how it's able to break records with all those disadvantages. I'm... I know. It's crazy. Gosh. So many obstacles. <laughs> but yeah, I saw that. I saw it once, and then my dad came into town. So I said, you know what? You you enjoy moving images correlated with sound, so let's go see this again. Is he still speaking to you? He – we'll get to that. <laughs> we will get to his take on that. I'm just going to be cackling this whole time because it's just a well, it's a bad movie, but we'll get to that. Continue with your yeah, but I mean I see unlike you, I'm 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 gauging by your tone of voice. You probably didn't have a high hopes for this. 
Well, okay, so I do want to say I didn't go in assuming I was going to hate it, but I did go in uh, knowing that it was very likely that I would not be a huge fan, uh, just based on my previous experiences with Zack Snyder movies and uh, including Man of Steel and the marketing. And I was just, I wanted to like it, but I was aware going in that I probably wouldn't. Yeah. I see. I went. I was very excited for this. As um, many people were, you are not alone in that. I am probably the uh, outsider when it comes to sheer quantity of people. Yes, the internet. See, the geeks on the internet. Geeks are so cute sometimes, because I, uh, I um, I kind of I frequent some forums. I don't really post, but I just kind of you know keep up with what people are talking about. Oh yeah. And the week before the reviews started dropping, because the reviews were embargoed. Yes. Like right up until the last minute. Like four days or something like no, that. No, like like two days. Like very close to the line. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how the floodgates were going to open and it was going to be 100 on Rotten Tomatoes and be the first comic book movie ever nominated. <laughs> See, that, like, I mean, even the superhero movies I'm excited for, I rarely ever think anything close on that. Like, that is... That is overboard. That is so far. Like, this is still Zack Snyder we're talking about, and I have enjoyed a number of Zack Snyder movies, but they are never... Really? Beyond what, what technical Zack things... What Zack Snyder movies have you enjoyed? What's that? What Zack Snyder movies have you enjoyed? Well, as I was a high, uh, high school boy man thing at the time, uh, I did enjoy 300 at the time, uh, though I probably still would enjoy it knowing now that I, what I didn't know then, which is that Michael Fassbender is one of the men in that. And my love for him was only grown. I did know that. Yeah. I remember, I remember there's a lot of really good actors in that movie. who it's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> they, at the top, we didn't know at the time. We didn't know. Also, um, Watchmen you know I enjoyed in the moment too. I kind of like Watchmen. Yeah. I don't like, there's a lot of dislike for Watchmen and I, it's one of those things, like, I don't confuse it with a great movie, but I enjoy Watchmen. It's, it has more brain cells than most comic book movies. And it's just, I think it's just not, it has heart, but it does not, it's not presented well. I think a lot of, I mean, it benefits from the source material greatly. Yes. Um, so that might have succeeded despite Zack Snyder's involvement. I, th- I think so. But it's still technically a movie that Zack Snyder directed, and is very clearly a Zack Snyder movie that I enjoyed. So there's there's that. Um, yeah. You can tell it's a Zack Snyder movie because all the characters pose in slow motion. Yep. At least once. Yeah, it, you know, the a, three. Go ahead. I was going to say he has a very distinct visual style, one of the most distinct in the industry. Yeah. Did you know that if you watch 300 at normal speed, it's actually only 45 minutes? Is that actually true? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. I honestly, like, I, I'm i like, he's probably kidding, but I, it's been so long since I watched it, it might be true. <laughs> yeah. No, so uh, I was not a big Man of Steel fan at all. I kind of thought it was a piece of shit, to be honest. <sighs> I I did not like it. It's like, I can, I, I, I just, th- it's just so long, and there's it's two and a half hours, and, like, two of those hours are nothing happening. And, that's, and then 9-11 happens. That's true. Like, it uh, like it gets beaten to the ground, and I'm sure anybody who likes that movie is tired of hearing about the building yes. destruction. But, like, you know, man, it's a problem. Like, it's just, like, build, it, it's building explode porn. It's 
ridiculous and over the top. And besides that, like there's not that much interesting stuff happening in the movie. Uh, spoilers galore, I guess, but pot, like how Pockin dies is obviously dumb. Like, it, yes, I forgot about that. Yeah, it is. It's, it's really so sad. dumb. He's faster than a speeding bullet, but everybody like, oh, I, mm, mm. well, no, it's not that he, it's not that Clark, it's not that Superman didn't save him. It's that Kevin Costner was like, no, not like this. And just decided to get swept away by a tornado. <laughs> Actually, we found out after the fact that there were some serious marital problems between Pa and Ma Kent, and yes, you know that might have might have put some attention there. <laughs> okay, so what I thought was funny is that people took such umbrage with the the last thirty minutes of Man of Steel. Like, yeah. to an outrageous degree, people hate the movie just because of that, and, and which is valid. And Zack Snyder went on for like about a year before this movie came out. Saying like that, Batman v Superman. It's gonna fix. It's gonna change the way you look at the end of Man of Steel, because instead of seeing <laughs> Superman running into buildings and making them fall, now we get a ground perspective of people horribly dying while buildings fall on them. I will say that was probably one of the more interesting things the movie actually did, uh, Donna Justice. Um, I mean, it makes it all kind of more. Like, kind of... It makes it more fit into the movie. It does not make it good. Yeah, it's just it's it's like it's not it's not necessary. It's just disturbing, and it goes on for almost as long as the scene of man at the scene at the end of Man of Steel. Yeah, I just it actually made me feel something, whereas much of this movie kind of pummeled me into just numbness. Yeah, well, I, so I guess that's fair. Of... But I mean, like, but think of I mean, so so much of that stuff you can actually turn on the news and see. I mean, of course you're gonna feel something. It's cheap. Yeah that's that's true and the fact that it it talks about all that and how that upset batman and then batman's a fucking maniac <laughs> well and then not only is there there's like 30 minutes of like really just solid pretty horrific destruction at the beginning of this movie but they take time out of the destruction to showcase the new jeep renegade <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey man you know it's really it's it's great for getting around a city when it's falling apart around right. you and that's just that's just giving a heads up to the survivalists out there, so they know what's I know. up. <laughs> Jeep Renegade, <laughs> not even nine eleven. Oh my god, <laughs> not even two superhumans beating the living hell out of each Leveling other. Leveling an entire you. city. But if you get a Jeep Renegade, you'll survive. Like that. Yeah. You know, no, I, I tried it. I I saw a Jeep Renegade on the road, and I looked at him like, you know, if I hit that thing, it probably wouldn't even dent. I just it would hit you. I would probably implode, honestly. Yeah. Um, so cheap Renegade, buy it. Yeah. <laughs> um, do a hole. Oh God. So, okay. One of my biggest beefs with, uh, Dawn of Justice is that this is ostensibly like Man of Steel 2. It's like the second Superman movie in which we're introduced to Batman and Wonder Woman and their, the, the whole gang, the Except Motley crew. I take, I take issue with that because it's kind of not. It's not a it's not a Superman movie at all. No, it's not. It's like it's barely in it. It's if it's anything, it's a Batman movie. It's a Batman um, movie with like <laughs> an expanded Superman role, like just slightly more than the cameo. This Superman movie is a Batman movie that Spider Man threed it, where it just shoved way too many people in. Yes. Um. So I just like the whole. Th- and I, it doesn't help that I recently saw Man from Uncle, in which Henry Cavill is absolutely delightful and seems to be enjoying 
uh, existing on this planet. Right. And as opposed to he doesn't get to do anything in this movie except, uh, you know, frown. Sh- yeah, frown mostly. And you get bits and pieces of how, you know, quote unquote noble he is when he's trying to fight Batman and Batman get, keeps trying to uh, booby trap him with all think, these things. And I think in this discussion, like our interpretation of Batman is going to be like a large section. So let's focus on everything else and then do Batman. Yeah, that's why. Well, that's why I want to start with Superman because okay. I've already given him more attention than Zack Snyder did in this movie. Yeah, I, I kind of think Zack Snyder doesn't like Superman very much. I'm getting well, the idea. That's a big thing. It's like a lot of pieces are like I think I think Zack Snyder hates Superman, and there of course is the backlash. Like, no, here are all the reasons he clearly loves Superman. Like, yeah, man, I don't know that he hates Superman, but he clearly does not have a very high opinion of the classic interpretation of. Superman. Oh, I just don't think he understands him. No, not, not at all. And the fact that they're okay again, again, like spoilers. Like we're just going in. It's been oh uh, yeah, there's whatever. yeah, it's been guys. Uh, you so, had three weeks to drop your schedule and watch this movie. Yeah, so here it is. Superman dies at the end. Uh, well, he dies. Not. He's not dead. Like he's Superman dead, takes an extended nap. It's like it's like uh, Game of Thrones spoilers. Jon Snow being dead at the end of the current season. Um, I don't know if that's a spoiler for you. It's like is all he not dead. There. Uh, well, okay, here's the thing. He's I, like, dead. He, yeah. He's dead, but he's coming back. Okay. Like, that's not a book spoiler or anything. It's just, like, uh, he's coming back. Yeah. Um, But it's kind of like that. And also, this hints at it even more than that does, because levitating dirt. And <laughs> it's just so unearned. We've had one... We've Okay, we've had one movie of Superman, but even in that, we only had a little bit of actual Superman. Yes, exactly. And then we don't get much Superman here, and then he's dead, and it's so sad, and Lois is so sad because they're, like, so in love because we saw them in the bathtub together for two minutes. Which was a very creepy scene. It's just so not earned. Like, there are going to be deaths in Suicide Squad, a movie about villains being killed off yes without impunity that will have more meaning than superman's death in the superman movie well it's here's and what cheapens it even more is like okay so this whole two hour and 30 minute movie is about batman and superman and they're eventually going to fight at some point and so for like it takes them an hour to even meet in the first place and then another 45 before they actually start beating up on each other and so their whole 15-minute fight is, A, prefaced on a really completely fucking stupid plan that relies on them both being idiots. And I guess they are, because it worked out. Either one of them could have, could have killed the other at any point, too. Like, if you really wanted to kill him... Yeah, the only reason that Superman did not get, like, murdered is because Batman decided to, like, monologue before killing him. Yeah, to monologue to take a long, long time. And, like... The Kryptonian dust, whatever, uh, the kryptonite dust, right. clearly wears off fairly Very quickly. soon, yeah. And yet he's, like, doing this thing where he drags him and drags him and swings him around the courtyard, like, which looks cool, but is a waste of time, man. You have a Kryptonian spear, like, just dust him and then kill Like, I don't know, like, I, I don't want to, like, hammer home the silliness of the fight too much because that's kind of the we'll point. There. That's kind of the point. Well, yeah, and it's like... There are so many issues with this movie that taking some liberties with the plausibility of a fight between Batman and Superman is, right. like, time ill spent. Well, and... what 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 my point is is that there's an hour and 45 minutes of these guys building up to them fighting. 
mm-hmm. about 20 minutes of them actually fighting. And then after that, they team up for about 15 more minutes, and then Superman is dead. And then there's like 20 <laughs> years worth of epilogues to tie things up. You know, I'm pretty and sure so, the Marvel the, movies did this. Like, they've had their heroes fight for a little bit and then be friends. And they didn't build the whole movie around but no, here's Hulk the versus Iron Man. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Is that we have so much setup to the two hating each other and then fighting. And they're friends for about five minutes before Superman dies. But the whole end of the film is Batman looking at Superman's grave and going, He <laughs> was my friend. <laughs> I have failed him. It's like, um, weren't you going to put a spear through his fucking head? Yeah. And I with, listen, with, I, with little I am, to no reason at all to do so. I am kind of in on Batman being a maniac, but they're clearly not going to have him be a maniac for that long. Or like, they, it was kind of like back and forth in this movie where it's like he's clearly an insane person, but he's also like noble. It's really dumb. Yeah. Like, I guess I could have seen something where he's insane, but Superman brings him back from the brink because well, he's that, just so noble. Well, I think so that's noble. what they were trying to do, is that Batman... Like, they kind of established that he's been around for a while. Yeah. I mean, kind of. It's very conflicting, because at one point they say he's been around for 20 years, and yet apparently nobody on Metropolis, which is like apparently on the opposite side of the river, has ever heard of him. <laughs> so... Who's that? Exactly. No, to the point where even when Clark Kent wants to write a story about Batman, his editor-in-chief is like, um, no, boring, cover high school football. Okay, it's like, <laughs> um, Zack Snyder clearly does not know anything about journalism. No, that's like, what I was thinking, I don't want to hammer, I feel like every reviewer hammered, hammered that home because they're journalists and it's fucking silly. I didn't see anybody bring that up, and I was like, seriously, no one's going to harp on the fact that the... <laughs> The editor of basically the New York, New York Times is like, no, don't focus on a vigilante who's taking out crime. Like, literally not 10 miles from where we live. Also, here's your headline. Now oh. write your story. I'm not going to give you any sources or anything. Just like, oh, Yeah, that's right. I didn't, yeah. <laughs> that was on a more technical level that I was annoyed. I didn't want to really bring that up, but yes. Oh, yeah, that's a, like, Lawrence Fishburne deserves better than this. Have it in my Dropbox yesterday. Okay, that actually oh, is kind of true, but... Just you know, I did enjoy the vest game. That's been pointed out on the internet. The vest game was strong. Yes, out of vests. I just even man, even the 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 warehouse fight scene for Batman was super hyped up, and I did enjoy that. But I also, it's not so crazy good that it justified anything else in the movie for me. Like man, I've seen like I've seen movies based solely on the fight scene, like almost entirely on the fight scenes, like the raid yeah. and all that. And this movie does not know. No, no. like, they have established a level of movie-justifying fight scene, and that one, like, this movie did not meet that. Oh, just so much. Like, it's just so rushed, and we knew it would be rushed. Everything is rushed. Like, Superman and Lois' relationship, Superman's uh, journey as a character, the introduction of all the other characters. Like, it's all rushed, and we knew it would be rushed, and it's as bad as we could have expected. It is. Um, but it's like, it, they do they do very much Spider-Man 3 it, where they just kind of keep piling, and I feel like, I don't know if this was Zack Snyder going like, I like this thing, and I like this thing too, and here's this thing I like, and just putting them all in one movie, or if DC was like, or Warner Brothers was desperate to catch up with the Avengers to the point where they're like, okay, well they've had 13 movies and you've got one, do the same thing. Yep. Maybe both. And, like, maybe that's why I don't, like, I don't hate this movie. Like, I, 
on a certain level, I feel like I should hate it, but I don't. I think that's just because we've had years, like literally years, to prepare for exactly what we knew this was going to be, and it's really exactly what we kind of were worried it was going to be. Um, now, I'm using the royal we. The, that some people, including me, not like we're like Sears or whatever. I'm not trying to say, like, I knew this was coming, but I'm like, man, it, they were clearly rushing it, and it showed. Well, here's the thing. Yes, they were rushing it. However, from the time that this went into that this was announcement into pre-production until the time that it came out in theaters, they had three years. It's a long time. They had like, three years and like something like five hundred million dollars to work with. There are movies that I hate. Like I obviously the the Revenant upset me. Jurassic World yeah. upset me. This movie, even as I'm like, man, this is just like bad in so many ways and there are some things i like about it but it's just like really bad it is and bad I it's can't just bring myself to hate it it's just it's very cynical and it's just a means to an end like it's meant to set up all these other things in a way it's even marvel can be very cynical with how they're clearly setting things up see this the much derided thor scene in avengers 2 this one's setting up six different movies yes that like blatantly setting up six different movies like here's this character here's this character here's this character here's this character by the way it's called dawn of justice yeah right like that would it, it's like if the last avengers movie was called avengers colon age of ultron colon prelude to civil war and there's a way to do that and like it, clearly it was a prelude to civil war but it wasn't they didn't ha they had they had one they had like one reference to what happened in winter soldier and one, this, the one scene with Thor setting up in, you know, the next Avengers movie. Mm -hmm. And that was it. Yeah. They didn't constantly, they didn't have an entire, like, five-minute scene where someone sits down on their laptop and, like, watches YouTube videos. And granted, they've had the benefit of, like, a decade's worth of movies where they exactly. can fill these that's, things that's, up. That's, that's the difference. That's why DC is failing at this currently. Yeah. I mean, well, that's the thing, is, like, I don't know... Like, the movie clearly did not do as well as they hoped, but it also wasn't a total failure. No, it is. I mean, it's... No, It's as a failure right now, in that they kind of needed it to be the Avengers, and it's not the Avengers. No, no, and no, that... no. Tyler, from from what I read, and I've, I've, not, I've not just read this in one place, this is in multiple places, mm -hmm. apparently they spent so much money on this movie with combining, you know, budget and advertising and the, yeah. the like, that they need to break a billion dollars... To be a success. Oh, that's kind of, like I've heard things to that effect too, and it's not just the money part; it's also like it setting also up the other movie. movies. Yes. Yeah, it's all like, and man, like even at the video store that shall not be named, I get people kind of down on that movie, and there are pl plenty of people who also loved it. But I think Wonder, Wonder Woman, I think, has a good shot at being a success just because so many people just want the goddamn Wonder Woman movie, and she was one of their favorite parts. The Batman movie has a chance to succeed because it's Batman and also Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck is it. a good director, yes. Yeah, and also it's Batman. That's true. Man, the Flash movie when there's also a different Flash on TV, the Aquaman movie, uh, yeah. which like we love Jason Momoa, but that's uh, another thing is that this... Marvel Marvel kind of subtly sets up for they don't set up for individual movies. They mm -hmm. set up for like plot points that are coming. Yeah, this movie has a legit sequence where it sits you down and, like, makes you watch basically, like, teaser trailers of upcoming movies. 
the the where side Wonder Woman sits on the laptop and watches like, based, yeah, like trailers for three upcoming movies, and they show you they show you clips of the Flash, Aquaman, and Cyborg. Now, raise your hand, audience, as to a who has heard of Aquaman or Cyborg, and b who's going to spend. 10 bucks to go see their movie. Well, Aquaman's gonna happen at this point. There's just too much invested in that. They have, like, they have actors they and have directors an actor, and all yeah. that. But, like, can they we can take cancel. bets now on whether the Cyborg movie happens? Um, I like, think it will. Marvel is super successful, and they keep pushing Inhumans back, and, like, I'm not even sure if Inhumans is gonna happen at this point. It's gonna happen. I think that's more of just, like, a scheduling thing. Yeah, of, oh, so. we got... We got... <laughs> oh, we planned, like, seven movies for the next two years. We better, uh... And that's the thing. Like, I remember when Guardians of the Galaxy came out, a lot of people didn't think it was going to do that well. Or yeah. at where it, most people were at least questioning it. And that movie succeeded based on a lot of things. Part, like, it was good, it was fun, it was as different from the form- Marvel formula yes. as these yeah. movies get. Yeah. Um, which might not be a lot, but it was. And it also, most of the movies that have come before it have generally been well-liked and accepted by not just the Marvel fan base, but the general movie-going populace. Yes. The DC movies do not have that benefit. So they, they don't have, have a... Tra- they, yeah, they have two failed movies. Or, like, at least middling successes compared to, like, they're clearly... They're, they're failures in that they're clearly not doing as well as Marvel. Yes. Um, I don't know. I feel like they could still pull it out based on how Wonder, Wa- Wonder Woman and Batman do. Um, if those are big successes, they might be able to get something out of Justice League and go from there. But obviously, it's, well, it's an in inauspicious start. Justice League comes before that. Oh yeah, that's filming like right now. Yeah, Wonder Woman comes out. I think it's Suicide Squad comes out this summer. Yeah, which the, will... which is kind of like an outlier. I'm not even sure if that's really that connected. To, I mean, it's in the same universe, but I'm not sure it's connected to the overall. And it does seem like that's on pace to do pretty well. Oh, but did you realize as soon as Batman and Superman, like, they had like an 81% drop in their box office. Yeah. And they, Suicide Squad marketing ramped it. (laughs) Like, they released like two different trailers. Oh, there's been so much. Suicide Squad has been everywhere. Yeah. But people are, like, people who aren't just DC stands seem excited for that It looks different. Yeah. Yeah. It, It very much benefits from Guardians being a hit. Yeah, because it's very clearly in that vein of we yeah. the uh, the bad boys of the universe, kind of like it's a, yeah one of those dirty dozen type stories, a bunch of people who are kind of pieces of shit. It's you know, but they all team up to do something good. It's kind of comparable to uh, Fox's X Men situation, although the X Men movies have had more success than the DC movies. Yeah, but Deadpool being like the premier X Men movie. That doesn't fit very well into the main Mar- the main X-Men canon. And so how do you kind of... That's the most successful movie, but they can't really build the entire franchise around that. And if even if Suicide Squad is super successful, you can like have Joker and Batman in there, but you, you could, <laughs> it's going to be hard... They're going to be hard-pressed to like really spin that into yeah. the DC universe as much as Guardians can for Marvel. But damned if they won't try. Oh, they, obviously they have no shame in that. I mean, most yeah. studios don't have much shame. But that's these, true. <laughs> that's the thing. I want. I want to like. Even, and as I say all these things, like Marvel's also guilty of these things. It's just less. They do overt. it better. Yeah, they're better at it, and it's 
they don't have to do it as much because they've been doing it for a lot longer. Like I, that's the thing that like sucks for DC is they've they've been behind from the start, and so they have to take these big shots to try to catch up. And it's uh... here's the thing. This is why I think another feeling that DC has is that DC is making comic book movies. Marvel yeah. does not make comic book movies. They're making them for the fans. They're making, yeah, they're making, Marvel is making genre movies. Like, you know, Guardians was like kind of a space adventure type thing. Yeah. Iron Man is their sci-fi. Like, it's a little thing. overstated, but there's enough there that, yeah. yeah. Captain America has usually some kind of wartime or espionage theme. Thor's fantasy. Mm-hmm. Ant-Man is a heist movie. They got the horror one coming up. Yeah, and... Doctor Strange. Like they're all very clearly Marvel there, superhero movies, but there's enough there that you can they can claim that. Yeah. DC is making a movie about two guys beating the shit out of each other, and that's all the marketing was. Yeah. I mean that that's they're getting you to sit down for two hours and thirty five minutes and wait for one thing to happen. I mean the DC fans make a big deal about how they made a movie for the fans. Like DC doesn't well, like DC and Warner Brothers they don't want to make a movie for the comic book fans. Because yeah. have you seen comic book sales compared to how they used to be? Yep. They're making movies for the world. Yeah. And, and, and if they're making movies for the fans, they're idiots. Yeah, that's what like the DC animated movies are. Those can be for the fans because yeah. they're way cheaper. This movie is so expensive that it like these movies can't afford to just be for the fans. Yeah. And so while it's like it's cool for them that they feel that way that that, that these movies are being made for them, but also if DC makes these movies just for them, these movies are going to fail. See, here's the thing, though. I would kind of be... I'm kind of insulted by that, that, like, DC's, like, and Warner Brothers say, we made it for the fans. Because as a fan, this is not the movie I wanted. <laughs> like, why would you... Why would you say, hey, guys, this Some is for fans. you, and then give me a shitty movie? Yeah, like, I mean... I want to talk with... Uh, I have some friends who really like the movie, and I haven't had a chance to just sit down and ask them why. Yeah. I mean, there are, like, there are plenty of movies that I don't like that I understand why people like, and not in a pejorative way or whatever. It's just, like, it's kind of not They don't appeal me. to you. And the thing, like, and I could, like, The Revenant. Like, I get why people like The Revenant. There are some things about The Revenant that are really, really good. Mm-hmm. I think the movie's bad. But, like, I get it. And, like, but with this, I'm like, man, we have... It's. I don't like dismissing a movie with we've seen all these things already, but like it's just also it's just not good. It's just not good. It's well, it, it shows you. I mean, because we've never had one of these like big. It does offer something new. It has two really probably the most iconic superheroes. Yeah. I mean, maybe discounting Spider Man as number one, but basically, you know, the two most recognizable yeah. iconic superheroes ever mm-hmm. meeting for the first time in live action and beating each other up. Yeah. It's just not done well. That's not a movie. That's a that's like a fifteen minute short. Yeah, like I mean, there are anim- I, I'm sure there are plenty of DC animated movies that have already kind of had that too. Yes, and I mean, we may not have seen these characters fight, but we've seen these fights. Uh, like we've seen the Hulk versus the thing that looks like Doomsday, um, and various fights like that. Uh, Batman's. And there wasn't even as much gadgetry as I thought there was going to be on Batman's end because I thought the whole thing was he was going to have all like that's what people were stoked for was that he was going to have all these get we were going to get to see all these gadgets and he didn't even have that many gadgets really. Well, and this is a take. Oh, and I think getting into Batman, this is a take on Batman that I don't like. 
like crazy Batman? Yes. I don't. You like Detective Batman? I like. This movie is based off because this is this is a new take on Batman that people have not seen, mm-hmm. you know, in movies so far. You know, the Tim Burton Batman that was kind of like the scary creature of the shadows type Batman. Yeah. Christopher Nolan's Batman was like you know the techie detective Batman. Mm-hmm. This is like this is the crazy <laughs> Republican Batman <laughs> who is very uncomfortable with foreigners. It's like and... tea. I, I don't. It's like Tea Party Batman. It is. It's very much is, and it takes it. It's based. This movie. I mean, it, even down to Batman's design, a lot of this movie is inspired by The Dark Knight Returns, mm-hmm. which is a very famous graphic novel by Frank Miller, who is fucking crazy. <laughs> As about, so many of these great comic book uh, writers seem to be, Alan Moore. Alan Moore. Okay, let's. I mean, let's not quite compare the two. It's fair for those who don't know this. Frank Miller and Alan Moore are probably the most influential comic writers ever. They're both crazy, but let's let's put this in perspective that Frank Miller is crazy in the way that like Glenn Beck is crazy and just very yeah. very Republican and very like has very weird views and is very like suspicious people. Alan Moore is a shut in Satanist who thinks he can perform magic. Like no, not even thinks. Claims to have. And, like, honestly, probably less dangerous because it's more overtly yes, probably, crazy. probably. At least people know. Like, you know, just wave at him if he's outside, but don't don't go by the house. <laughs> don't open the door. Just yeah. Don't... He will hex you. But, yeah, so he – and when Frank Miller wrote this version of Batman, first of all, it was an alternate take on Batman. It was not yeah. – it was not the main Batman. It was, a, it was a Batman who was older – it was like alternate universe Batman. And, yes, and had grown up with the sensibilities of like, this is not okay. The government's going to come fuck us over. They're taking our guns, Obamacare, mm-hmm. you know. And it's 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 good for, you know, the four issues that that story goes on. But it's not something to build your Batman around because it's not a likable character. No. So, and that's what the movie draws from that, from The Dark Knight Returns, which is not a good interpretation of like mainstream Batman, and The Death of Superman, which is one of the... Worst Superman stories ever written. And does not give it a lot of time. This is kind of like how, you know, X-Men 3, The Last Stand, shoved yes. in um, the like, Phoenix mean, Saga and... The Cure, yeah. Yeah, and The Cure. Like, they shoved in the death of Superman and Batman versus Superman. Like, they, like there's... And also Lex Luthor. And Wonder Woman. Oh, God, we haven't even talked about Jesse Eisenberg yet. We don't need to. He's bad. He's really bad. His plan makes no sense. <laughs> His performance is genuinely awful. Oh, my God. Like, it's... Like, it's fascinatingly awful, though. It is, yeah. Like, I, like, I love it. I, I just don't it. understand where they were going. With, I'm like, what? what is this? I don't know. His, okay, so his plan involves making... He has access to a Kryptonian, like he the almost of dies. Bur- like the moment he makes Doomsday, he almost dies. Yes, but here's the thing: he has access to Kryptonite, the body of General Zod, and like this contraption that can like it's like an easy bake oven for monsters. You know, you just put two things in, and then a monster comes out. You know, whatever. <laughs> Fair enough. He <laughs> has he has this this big like three story tall monster that can is like genetically engineered to kill Superman. Why is that his backup plan? <laughs> no, the, the first plan is a very complicated... Uh, like, 
totally year long Bruce plan that yeah. involves yeah making Bruce Wayne hate Superman, and then Superman being pushed over the edge. Yeah, and then just happening to like, and then you got to go get Superman's mother. Uh, also, I mean, the it's fact just, that Batman just goes in and saves his mom. Like, why couldn't the Superman done that again? I, that's another thing is that when when he and Lex Luthor are on the are on the roof and Lex Luthor is like revealing his ultimate plan. He's like, and goes, I have your mother and she's hidden somewhere in the city. You're automatically man. Oh damn. I got to kill Batman now. It's the yeah. Only <laughs> Bring me the head of Batman or I will kill your mother. Like, I can't believe Wait, that was the reason. You're first, you're Superman who can fly faster than the speeding bullet, see through walls and melt things with your eyes. And you have an hour to find somebody. Why would you, why would you not immediately like throw Lex Luthor off a building and get to work? I mean, <laughs> there's literally no reason that Lex Luthor should be alive. Batman is really dumb in these movies. To be fair, he is, especially he's in this really one. Dumb. He's really dumb. He's just, he's just dumb. Like, then again, yeah. Bat- some of the stuff Batman makes no sense. Does make no sense either. Um, the whole Mar- like I don't even want to talk about the how we stupid need to, the whole Martha we, we thing have is. To. Like it's so dumb. Like who calls their mom by their first like? Yes, that exactly. And, and, and why would that? Why would that? I mean, the Mad Max dream sequence. Like, okay, so let's talk about Martha first. I think. And you think we need to get Martha out of the way? Which Martha? Pick one. Is that the the entire conflict of this movie is built up over an hour and a half and yet undone in <laughs> two seconds because Batman and Superman's mothers have the same name. Yeah. Yeah. But and and, and yeah, so Batman's got Superman basically in a dead like position where he could easily kill him. Yeah. And then Superman's like, "Find Martha. Why would you? What? Why would you say that?" Like, like, what if what if Batman stabbed him right after that? Batman would have no idea what he was supposed to do. He knew that <laughs> just saying that name because his dad's. I will say, like, there was actual setup for why that happened. Like, it sets up that those were his dad's last words was Martha as his mom lay dying in the street, and that that haunts him, and that you know all that. Uh, yes. it's very clumsy. I don't believe No, 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 no. It does set it up why Bruce Wayne would care or at least like acknowledge, at least go like, wait, what the fuck? Yeah. But it doesn't make sense as to why, like, why would Superman, why wouldn't he say Lex Luthor has my mom? Yeah. At no point he said that. He goes, he goes, save Martha. Like what if Batman like killed him? Like he was planning to do right after he said that. I mean, like, and then I thought it, Martha was his girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. Oh man. And then Lois Lane comes in out of nowhere. <laughs> and throws the spear into a puddle because... Yeah, I don't know. And then... Reasons. And... Did you, okay, this is another funny journalist thing. Is that she needs to go... Lois <laughs> Lane needs to go from Metropolis to Gotham. And she tells the editor of her newspaper, she's like, Oh, just get me a helicopter. It's just... it's. <laughs> you have money for that, right? And he says no, and she says it's not for a story... And he doesn't ask any questions. He's such a loving and caring editor. He's like, oh, if it's not for a story, then Which I makes less sense. Like, That's no, I'm the not thing! Gonna... Like, I'd be more bad. I'm like, so you want to use company funds to, For your like... own? Yeah. 
get no. a get a ferry <laughs> ticket. Like you should like I haven't entered like Batman's gonna tell me who he is. And I'm like, Yeah, you know what? That is worth spending couple like, like, that, that's what that's see that's exactly also, they what have she should have said is like, Hey, Batman and Superman are fighting. I need to get over there as soon as possible. Not like Yeah, yeah um, actually... I kinda need a lift somewhere, so could you just that actually makes more sense. Batman and Superman are fighting. That's give me a huge. camera. I'll go get you the shots. <laughs> okay. Although, according like, to the way he's acted previously in this movie, I think Lawrence Fishburne probably would have been like, um, "Isn't there a baseball game you should be covering?" Football. Football. One of those. Fuck. I don't that's know. the Maybe thing. Like, there's so many. The baseball beat. I don't know. There are so many things in this movie that are so dumb that I don't even want to bother addressing them. Like, Martha is one. Uh, it's not for a story is another. It, where it's just like, man, it's just Lois so... Lane is a terrible journalist. Oh, awful. Because, like, her first thing, she goes to, I don't know, was it Africa? Oh, yeah, that she whole thing. She goes to Africa with this, <laughs> with this, like, this, this CIA agent disguised as her cameraman. Yeah. She's doing an interview, and her first question is like, hey, are you a terrorist? Not, yes. hi, I'm Lois Lane. A lot of tact there. You're surrounded by like, down, armed yeah, gunmen. With a bunch of men with guns. Like, So I heard you're a terrorist. Are you a terrorist? First of all, have you never watched the news? Because I'm pretty sure most terrorists don't think they're terrorists. It's also just a terrible question. Like, if you actually want to get some information. Like, it's just... Yeah. You're immediately antagonizing them. It just seems like poor strategy. Yeah, it, it's... She's... Yeah. Yes, bad Lois Lane. And then Superman just, like, dives... Like, I'm not sure if Superman's actually a superhero or just her personal bodyguard, because she's the only person that he saves in this movie. In the middle of the Doomsday fight, it was almost comical. Yes. Where he just hears her pounding on the rock and goes in, like, Hey, 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 gal, you got this? Yeah. Ms. Cabell, Thank you guys. BRB. I, I did enjoy that Batman was just basically... Just... Like, getting the fuck out of the way every time. I know, I know. I, that's what I was like, why are you here? <laughs> hey, he had the gun in the end, the, the kryptonite thing. So that, that makes was... See, that's another thing that makes no sense. The movie's called Batman v Superman. Your fight should not heavily rely on Wonder Woman. With special guest Wonder Woman. You know? Yes. It shouldn't, like, it should not, like, relegate Batman to, like, sitting there on the side and going, like, yeah, you got him. Show him. Take him down. You know, a bat, if it had just been Batman Wonder Woman, it might have been pretty cool. They needed they needed a final villain that Batman and Superman could team up on. Like, we've probably gone too long on this. So Civil War is coming out soon. There are a lot of parallels that can be drawn. But I just, where it's, you know, our heroes are fighting each other and they're yeah, arbitrary yeah, the battles. worried about, you know, the, the impact of superheroes. Yeah, I, there is. And there's like there is another villain they're gonna team up in the end to fight. It's Baron Zemo, as we've seen. Yeah. Um, who is actually the guy from Rush, who was yes. on the previous podcast? Yeah, that's uh, some nice synergy there. It is. But you know, have so I, much more faith in everyone involved in that movie. I really hope that Black Panther is not the Wonder Woman of Civil War, where it's he's like awkwardly shoved Just in shows there. up for no reason. Well, they've talked. They've mentioned Wakanda before. Yes, I just you know what I think. Super, I think the one thing that does come out of this good is Wonder Woman because yeah. her brief appearance at the end. That's really. They sh I wish they would have worked her better into this movie because yeah. when she sh the final battle gets better when she's there. Because mm -hmm. it's like at least it's like a new element that you haven't seen, so you're mildly interested. Yeah, 
Although, no, I, like that, like Wonder Woman. The parts where Wonder Woman was in it were the most interesting parts, and I didn't really think it was that close. Yeah, I just it's no bad, bad Batman <laughs> v Superman. Don't do that again. Go on the pee pad next time. Yeah, just uh, maybe the rumors of someone coming in to kind of watch over Zack Snyder probably a good idea. Oh, really? You Who should... is that? I the, there were just rumors that they were thinking of someone, which I don't. I think it's too late in the process for that to actually happen. Yeah, because they're basing pretty much the whole DC universe around his aesthetic. Yeah, which is which is awful. Yeah, no, like Zack Snyder can be a. I, oh, Dawn of the Dead, his very first movie is my favorite movie of his. I forgot to mention that. That's so long ago though. Are you saying you don't like Sucker Punch? I have not seen Sucker Punch. Oh, it's bad. It's like yeah. a, it's a lingerie commercial, <laughs> but with guns. Yeah, no, I'm I'm uh, good on that one for a while. So, if it weren't for having seen The Forest, this would have been my least favorite movie I've seen from 2016. But yeah, so that 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 was our uh, recently watched section for this week because we just needed some time to go off on that. And you know, it's probably better this way because now it won't come up several times with different podcasts like The Revenant continues to. I just have exercised all of my BVS demons, and I'm just kind of tired of it now. And I'm ready to move on to other superhero movies, to other movies we're discussing today. And uh, today we're going to be talking about Amadeus. Tell us. Tell us at once. Tell us about Wolfgang. Amadeus. Mozart. Mozart. Mozart? <laughs> How good is he, this Mozart? He's remarkable. He's an unprincipled, spoiled, conceited brat. I'm a vulgar man. But I assure you, my music is not. He is divinely inspired. He is arrogant, vulgar, obscene. He creates music for the gods. He is passionate. He burns with fire. He is an angel. He is a devil. He claimed he'd been poisoned. Some said he accused a man. Some said the man was Salieri. Salieri? Salieri. I don't believe it. All the same. Could it be possible? Did Salieri do it after all? Did he murder Amadeus? Amadeus is the 1984 film directed by Milos Forman and written by Peter Schaefer. It uh, was originally a uh, play also written by Peter Schaefer in 1981, which was itself based on a short 1830 play by Alexander Pushkin, which was itself based on the life of Amadeus Mozart. Uh, it was nominated for 11 Academy Awards. It won eight of those. And considering that one of the ones it lost was Best, best uh, Actor to another actor in the very same movie, I'm, I'm counting that as nine for 11, or at least eight for 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and it... It made $51 million in the box office and is actually notable as one of the few Best Picture winners that did not get into the uh, top five box office at any point when it won, a list that includes the recent Best Picture winner, Birdman. And, I mean, I kind of just want to get into the movie from there. Uh, So this movie is... It feels like kind of a forgotten Best Picture winner. It's like the the definition of forgotten Best Picture winner. Yeah, and I, well, I want to ask you first, like, why did why did you pick Amadeus? Actually, 
Uh, well, actually, this is not the movie that I thought we were talking about. Um, I thought this was a talking dog movie. Turns out that's Beethoven. So, uh, <laughs> no, um, Amadeus, I, uh, I actually, I was in a big, uh, collecting phase in my teens when I had a lot of money and cause I didn't have to pay bills or anything. <laughs> so, uh, I just pretty much bought every Blu-ray that I decided I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and Amadeus has a really cool Blu-ray. It's like one of those like booklet Blu-rays, you know? Is it like a Criterion release? It's like a step below that, but like the case is like a book and it comes with like a little like little like little little pamphlet inside and you can read all about the making of the movie. It's pretty cool. Nice. And I was like, that's neat. I'll buy this one. And, it ha- you know, it has a cool poster. Yeah. So I was like, oh, what's this movie? I didn't know anything about it when I watched it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and three hours later, I was like, wow, that was a lot of not what I was expecting about this big, this big long epic about the life of Mozart, but also kind of not about the life of Mozart. Yeah, that's that's like the biggest <laughs> thing I took away from the early part of the movie. It's it's not what I expected. All I knew going in was that it's a Best Picture winner yeah. from the '80s that I barely heard of about the life of Amadeus Mozart. His his first name's not Amadeus. I don't know why I said Amadeus Mozart. It's Wolfgang Amadeus. Yes, it's Wolfie Amadeus Mozart. Yes. <laughs> Technically, since they're in German, it's Wolfgang. Wolfgang, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, it wasn't what I was expecting, and I think part of that is because I'm so used to Oscar biopics now. Yes. Are very serious, and very and we kind of pick them apart for their veracity, and they're usually plotting, and they don't perform that well in the box office for the most part, and. If they do take any liberties, like Steve Jobs, we kind like they kind of get derided. Like this isn't how it actually happened. Yes. How could you depart at all? And as opposed to this movie, which is a pretty comedic and b almost entirely fictional. Like if this movie came out now, it would win best comedy at the Golden Globes. Yes, it would be not. Yeah, it would. It would be. It, it would be a shoe in really for best comedy at the Golden Globes. It's. It's. I guess it is more dramedy, or dramedy. Comedy. It is more drama by the end, I guess. But it's very comedic. It. It only turns. This is like a three-hour movie that turns into a drama in the last half hour. So I'm gonna say comedy. Yeah, and again, three-hour biopic about a historical figure that won Best Picture. I yes. just. I was like, why did you pick this movie? I was not looking forward to it, and it. For being three hours, and it's probably because it is a comedy. It does it, not feel its length. No, sure. and it actually earns the length yes. more so than just about most three-hour movies I see. Which is why I still have never seen a Terrence Malick movie. Oh well, those are just, just those aren't actually those are usually quite short. They're just like dreadful. <laughs> but yeah, so I really. I really enjoyed this, and I was not expecting to. Uh, so, uh, another it's another reason is I hadn't really heard of anybody in this movie, or if I had, it was around other things yes. like F. Murray Abraham. I've heard of him a, a plenty of times. I've probably seen him in a number of things that I couldn't even name. He's literally he's been in like hundreds of movies. Yeah, but I hadn't heard of many people. No. So it, it felt like a legitimately kind of a new experience um and part of this is because i haven't seen a lot of old movies but i'm just like even looking back 
apparently it was kind of a singular thing in its time because nobody wanted to pick up and make this three-hour biopic. Yeah. <laughs> None of the major studios wanted to do it. And uh, a lot of credit goes to, I guess, Peter Schaefer for writing it, but also the star, um, what is his name again? F. Marie Abraham. Uh, he plays... Uh, Salieri. Yeah, uh, the guy who plays Mozart. Oh, uh, uh, Tom Hulse. Tom Hulse, who hasn't had much of a career. Like, he's had a career, but not on this level for the most part. And you know what I thought when I saw like saw him this whole movie? It's like if we dropped Ferris Bueller in this movie. Yes. That's, and that's gave fair. him, like, a Michael Myers laugh. <laughs> yes. The yes, whole time. The and, <laughs> when that first happened, I was... What is what is this movie? Uh, but it's it's really funny for it just so mostly it's he is funny and a lot of people around him are kind of playing the straight men. Yes, but even so, their reactions to him are often funny, and the way it portrays a lot of the musical stuff is often funny. I think the funniest parts of this movie is when he's in like the audience because. A lot of this movie has has Mozart. You know, he's he's working with Vienna and uh, Emperor Joseph of Vienna, mm-hmm. and his in his uh his his musical court. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because they have he I mean they have a position for everything apparently because there's like the director of the opera, the director of the choir. Salieri is like the the court composer, I think. Mm-hmm. And so I think just the playoff of how <laughs> how all the how his entire court reacts to to Mozart basically just being a giant tool throughout most of this movie. He's like kind of awful, but he's pretty awful. And yeah. Yeah. And all like, but weirdly endearingly. So yes, and, you get it. Yeah. And you kind of hate Salieri for being, he's like kind of a monster. Like I understand that you would, that he hates Mozart, but he's kind of a monster. But you see at the same time you get it. Cause like you've been yeah. around people who have made you feel that way. Well, and that's the thing. Another thing is, I mean, the original play is called Mozart and Salieri, and the interactions between those two, I can see why they both yeah. were nominated for Best Actor, because those are the best parts. The moments when Mozart is really showing, and that's another thing, they kind of show Mozart's genius really well. Like, you, it comes across that he is this genius, just in the the way that he reacts to things, the way that he creates on the fly. And also in the way that Salieri interacts with him, where he hates him, but he's also just transported by this unparalleled musical talent. Well, that's and, that's I think that's what the crux of the thing is, is that Mozart is not he's not a genius in the way that people are going to take you saying genius. He's he's what's called a savant. He's yes, he's very true. very genius level about one thing, and that one thing is composing. Mm-hmm. And he does it better than almost anybody else. But the conflict is that, is that Salieri is very much also devoted his life to wanting to be, you know, the very best like no one ever was. Yeah. And so when this guy comes in who can do everything you do but better and makes it look effortless, I mean, what does that say? It's got to be maddening, which is why you don't totally hate Salieri despite that he is – orchestrating this guy who thinks he's his friend, his demise the whole time. Yes. But, and even he seems to go back and forth on what he wants to do because he want like, he's trying to bring out Mozart's downfall, but when the two work together, just F. Murray Abraham really portrays how he's 
like just touching this greatness is the greatest thing that's ever happened to happen him. to him ever going to happen to him yeah like and it happens multiple times but especially at the end obviously with yeah. mozart in his death what turns out to be his deathbed just the way that he reacts to mozart it really it, at, at, you're laughing at all this stuff and all this comedic stuff and suddenly it gets really it really strikes you and i think that is what's most remarkable about this is that it's so funny but also and so over the top and clearly fantastical but it's true in the ways that are most important Mm -hmm. which are like the character the human interactions and human desires like none of that is fantastical that is also that is all very real with regards to this over-the-top character being played by ferris bueller yes actually um, Tom Hulse, who plays uh, Mozart, most people are probably going to uh, recognize him or more over his voice. He, uh, his, I think the biggest thing he's ever done was he voiced Quasimodo in the animated version of The Hunchback. Mm-hmm. So that's where I was like, when I found that out, I was like, what? My mind exploded. Uh, the thing that kind of exploded my mind, and this feels a little unfair to Hulse and everyone, but Tim Curry was one of the people who almost got this role. Okay, so on the in the Broadway production of this? Yeah, he performed it. He Tim Curry was Mozart and Ian McKellen was Salieri. Oh my god! How awesome does that sound? Oh, so incredible! I know. And I can't help but think that this movie would have stood, would have had some more cult status if it was Tim Curry, just because Tim Curry has that cachet and yeah. that you know that fan base. Whereas... I have a hard time imagining a Tim Curry Mozart for some reason. I mean, it would have been a very different performance. Oh, it would. The, it makes sense in that it's this over-the-top uh, comedic right. character in the midst of all these other people be, playing it fairly straight-faced. Like, that is clearly a thing he's done before to great effect. Yeah. But it would have been a much different... He, his mania would have been a much different kind of mania. I don't know. I, I think it would have just been a different movie. I, I don't think know it, it I don't think it would have worked. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that works on stage. Unless Tim Curry is capable of a, better, of a different performance than I know. Because you know, we're all very used to, like, shticky Tim Curry, who gets hired to pretty much do the same thing. Oh, but I love it. I, I do, too. Eat it up but I, we, have, we, don't, we, don't have, we don't really have a good approximation of his acting range. Yeah. So that is, that, to be fair. However, like, Tom Holtz plays Mozart in a way to where you don't hate him. He's just kind of a jerk. Yeah. And he has, he's been doing, he's pretty much a child, like, he's a child star. He's been doing this since he was five. Yeah. He doesn't really that's... know anything else. He doesn't know how to talk to people and so he comes off as a dick but also kind of naive tim curry i think would have come off too much like a serial killer you're you're probably right because you do have that sympathy for mozart here yeah and uh it isn't hammered too over the top until close to the end but because he is a child star and he has this terrible like not great relationship with his father and he's not trying to be a terrible person and it's just kind of He's just never, no one's ever sat him aside and said, he, he doesn't this is really how have people a, act. Yeah, and he doesn't have a filter. Like, he tr- he's not trying to be a dick to these people when he tells them they're kind of bad. It's yeah. just, he doesn't know, like, for him, it's just like, yeah, this, my stuff is perfect. We're all professionals and here, and this is, yeah. They're all like, yeah, he doesn't understand you're not supposed to feelings. say that, man. You're not supposed to say it's perfect. Right. <laughs> and... I, the, the, it really is carried by those two as well. Yes. Like I, 
well, I was think as it got towards the end of my most recent viewing, I was thinking about it, and you know, all, most of the other people are like good to fine. Um, his uh, his wife, uh, Mozart's wife, is probably the third most prominent character, and mm-hmm. I just don't think she's that good. We can talk about that because I think I have the same opinion as that. She's and I've in looking at the trivia, Meg Tilly was a, originally up for that role and got injured the day before they started shooting. Who? Uh, Meg Tilly. She. I don't think she does much stuff anymore. But like a different actress. Yes. Really. I don't know that she would have been a lot better, but a different actress. And so this was just one of the two. Pe- one of the two people they had like kind of screen tested replacements. So she kind of was behind. Like everyone was kind of behind the eight ball with yeah. that character from the beginning. And like I, I didn't hate her. It's just she wasn't that good. She was just fine well here's and... the thing here is i i've kind of i've thought about that too because she is she is definitely the 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 outstanding weak point of the movie yes and i think it's because a the role is not it's it's not really much to work with no i mean she really she's kind of a plot cul-de-sac really i mean she just she doesn't really do anything yeah not really her, most of her dialogue maintains of her yelling at at mozart about spending too much money or not paying attention to her mm-hmm. or what she thinks he should be doing. So she's very, she's not a very, you don't get much on her side as to why you should feel any sort of way about her. Yeah. And the also only time she's an active character is when she tries to get him the gig by sleep, like trying well, to seduce. Yeah. Yeah. Salieri, which is a, which is actually, we watched the extended cut and that was actually cut out of the, the theatrical cut. That, Makes sense. It's per, it's kind of unnecessary. Yeah, it's very unnecessary. And another reason is that yes, this I don't, I don't know. I think her name's Elizabeth Barrage. Is that her name? Yeah. She's she's not she. What makes her stand out is that everybody else in this movie, when you're in a costume period drama like this, it's very you're straddling a very fine line to not look absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, everybody sells it, but she looks like some she she her she comes across as someone. Wearing a costume. Yeah. It's just, uh, that's like, I don't, it's one of those things, like, I don't blame her, and I don't mean that, try to mean that in a patronizing way. It's just, the the role didn't give her a lot to, it didn't help her out that much, and she kind of just wasn't quite good enough to rise to the occasion. Yeah, yeah there was, I mean, she doesn't elevate it at all. Yeah. And the movie doesn't need her to be great, but I was wondering, you know, if we had a better actress how been, yeah. having yeah how having that supporting character really could have elevated it and really could have sold that relationship more because this the movie even if it's not like it might there there are conflicting reports on whether she was faithful to him and whether she slept with Salieri and all that mm-hmm. but the movie kind of really sells it as this loving relationship despite him being a womanizer in his youth and and very much like not in tune with how he should. He has no idea what he's doing in terms of carrying a marriage. Yeah. Oh, no. And he obviously, clearly in the movie, was not ready to get married. But no. I, it's more of a, it doesn't suffer a lot for having her not being very good in it, but it does kind of make you wonder how much even better it could have been if you had gotten someone who really could have shown in that part. That's true. And I think I, I would like to see the theatrical cut just to see how little she's in it to see if maybe that makes less of an impact mm-hmm. but, every, but see i think one of the supporting cast 
in this movie is one of the things that really sells it. Because, yes, the movie does rest pretty much entirely on F. Murray Abraham and Tom Hulse's performance. But it helps when all the, the other people that are yeah. are awesome. <laughs> Especially <laughs> the Emperor. I really enjoy the Emperor. That guy is. Speaking of Ferris Bueller, he is the principal from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Oh my god, that's awesome. Yes. <laughs> He's just the right amount of like imperial but also a doofus yes. who thinks he's kind of like he, who thinks he's like you know one of those people who thinks they're a film critic but they're they have they're no like, idea. yes yeah. yeah no idea what they're talking about you know i think that dark knight is really good or something yeah, they, like very that. obvious opinions on stuff like that and it's like have you heard of this stanley kubrick yes but he he's just the right amount of good like well-meaning and imperial but a doofus and the kind of villainous stooges who are like the director and all that those are they're I, very, I love those guys they're very one note but they're doing that they're, they're hitting that note like every time it comes up they're just right on cue i actually i did one uh one time i watched this movie and i'd already seen it a few times by the point that i did this i uh whenever they came on i focused on them during the scenes just to watch their facial reactions and oh my god <laughs> because they're so fucking funny. Like oh, that's awesome. His the, yeah, the emperor's little cronies who like sit there and like <laughs> just look with utter contempt at Mozart and like delight in his suffering when he has to deal with these idiots. And so, and that's that's one of the things that really made me side with Mozart more like more and more is like yeah he's a douche but you guys are being ridiculous and they don't understand they don't they don't. You know, they see something like, oh, you know, this is not how operas are done. You don't do them in German. Yeah. What are you trying to do? They don't They don't get it. Which they don't understand probably... who they're dealing with. They're dealing with someone who is so far beyond their capabilities that they're, you know, they're like, all they can do is sit there and say, well, this is not how it's done. Which probably helps flesh out Salieri more. Yeah. Because. Because he uh, gets it. Yeah. He understands and... how, you know, the talent that's there. But for his own need, is like, no, fuck this guy. <laughs> Which makes it all the more tragic a tale. The whole... it Mozart's descent lost me a little bit more. Um, in that part where he's just... Where he's poor and alcoholic. Maybe I was just, like, kind of getting... At that point, the movie yeah. was getting a little long for me. Sure. But uh, the whole scheme to just kind of work him to death and terrorize him to death. But it, that... That's, at the same time, that was interspersed with him kind of witnessing the the opera that he that Mozart made. Mm -hmm. So the Salieri witnessing the opera Mozart made after his father died and reacting to that. And so while that overarching bit of him uh, kind of machinizing Mozart's death didn't totally work for me, it was filled with all those other things we've been praising that you know really helped care like help me stick with it and remain emotionally invested until we get that deathbed scene, which is really good. Yeah. That's it really, that really does cement the whole movie. And that, that's the one thing, cause you go through this movie kind of, you know, you're supposed to sympathize with Salieri mm -hmm. about this whole thing. And you're like, Oh, well no one's giving him a chance. And this guy comes in and then he when they really hard. Yeah. When they sit down and he Mozart's trying to dictate his music. So Salieri can transcribe it. You understand. It's like, he's just, Salier just is not on the level. He can't do it. 
Uh, which was boosted by the fact that apparently Holtz would skip lines so that yeah, uh, that. so that Abraham would be even more confused. Yeah, I had no idea like, what was going on. Yeah. At a certain point, you go like, "Man, I know how to act. Come on." Right. I would feel I just, really patronized if someone did that. Yeah, like you don't you don't trust me to look confused. Come on, I've, I am a goddamn professional. Although I have I have seen interviews with F. Marie Abraham. And I think he's a great, I mean, he's one of my favorite actors. I mean, really, he's, he's, and he's amazing in this movie, but mm. he comes off as very pretentious. <laughs> Which, you know, probably helped him play this role. Yeah. Because that's kind of his role in here is maybe not as pretentious as the others, but, you know. Still to an really, extent, yeah. He's big on the, uh, the work and all that. What else is F. Murray? Oh, Grand Prix de Barcelona. Man, you know, I'm sure. If I just saw, saw screenshots of F. Murray Abraham in all these movies, I'd be like, oh, Jesus. Just go have... through and like look at his IMDb credit. You'll be like, oh, I've seen that movie. I've seen that movie, too. He's in very bit parts. Uh, and also, like, tons of random TV show episodes. Yes. Blue Bloods. He's in an episode yeah. of Louie that's very strange. So he's in an episode of Louie. Yeah. But, like, a really a, a particularly weird one. Yes. Yeah. No, that's, um... And... I guess uh, besides being pleasantly surprised by the movie and uh, kind of that's the thing is this is one of those forgotten Oscar winner like best picture winners that I do like it does deserve more credit and I do think we should remember it a little more. And one of those reasons is I would like to see more movies like this, maybe not three hours long, but I enjoy it. And maybe it's because it's so such a. Like it's someone so far back in history, but I enjoy that they were willing to take liberties and also have fun with it because I feel like, like, like we said, I said at the very beginning, biopics are so often very one note and done the same way. Dry, very yeah. Dreary. Yeah. And this is like, this is a different note. It's striking a different chord. And the closest we get to that is Steve Jobs, which is written by Aaron Sorkin, so it's not actually that different. <laughs> and oh, probably almost as fictional as this movie. Yeah, but I I kind of enjoyed Steve Jobs for that. Like it was it was different than other biopics well, I'd seen. Here's the thing is that this movie and Steve Jobs do something very similar, and it's the way that biopics should be done, is that they don't focus on the person's entire life. Mm-hmm. They focus on like maybe ten years or in this case of Steve Jobs, like three nights. Oh yeah. They focus on a small amount of time Mm -hmm. and they don't, they don't try to do like, well, he was a poor boy born in the backwoods of wherever. And then he did this. It helps that Mozart only lived to 35. (laughs) That's true. But they they focus on a very specific period of time. So they don't have to cover so much. Yeah. And Selma did the same thing. It was the March to Selma. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. So like, I just, that is a big thing. And I've heard plenty of critics harp on that where it's like, don't do the whole life. You can only do so much when you do a whole life, but also Seeing this made me think, man, I wish more biopics were funnier. And not just like there's there are quips here and there. <laughs> oh, back to the dry life stuff. Like, just have have fun and make it a comedy. And maybe we do have to go back to this older stuff to do that. To, like, people whose, uh, com- whose friends and family aren't still alive to take umbrage at things. Well, and but... here's the thing, is that most people they make biopics about nowadays... Either were involved with something very serious or died yeah. horribly, mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of it's kind of hard to have like a funny Kurt Cobain biopic <laughs> or the Imitation Game or anything involving World War Two. Yeah, so I'll be 
you know, I'll be interested to see what the founder does. What is like, that? I'm not, uh, so it's the Michael Keaton movie. It's so Michael Keaton as the founder of McDonald's. Oh. Which, on a certain level, I have no interest in. I don't want to see a biopic on the founder of McDonald's. I don't know. I guess that depends on what but, the story is. Th- yeah, that's the thing. Is like It's also weird and not what we usually get. Yeah. So if... If it takes some chances and doesn't just follow the usual biopic notes and maybe is allows itself to be a little bit ridiculous or something like right. it is just different. I I will be in on that movie. I will be really in on that movie that I'm otherwise super out on. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not so much about. I mean, there can be. It doesn't have to be a, a you know a, a quippy, a funny movie. I'm yeah, in for like, any movie that's good, and this movie is good. It yeah. just it has a tone that's different from what we usually see. Yeah, that's like, I mean, in this case, it's because it's funny, and maybe that's like the Guardians of the Galaxy thing. Yeah. It's like, it feels different because it's funny. and But things don't have to be funny to feel different. Like, even that's if true. it was like something maybe a little more stylized, or even more fantastical or over the top, or just something where it just feels different. It's also, <laughs> see, it's also about a period in time that we, no one really thinks about anymore. Yeah. So you get and, to see things. And I, another, I want to highlight. The production and costume design of this movie, mm-hmm. it's so good. It is really good. It's you. You get you really get a sense of like what it must have been to live back then if you if you were rich and posh. <laughs> I, I guess. If, yeah, and also apparently they only had to build four sets for the movie. Apparently, well, yeah, because like, they filmed in a uh, in Prague, which actually I guess looks like that still. And also, bringing back the Revenant used all natural light. Really. Yeah, apparently. Like, they would paper over windows and stuff to get the right lighting, and I'm like, that's kind of interesting. I though, I though, I do, there are some times when you look at the costumes that I wonder if people actually did dress like this, because there's a moment where Mozart is conducting his opera in a floral tuxedo and a pink wig. <laughs> I, I do think they took some liberties with Mozart, but again, I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> and all the women are wearing, like, these, like, four-foot-tall, probably, like, 75-pound wigs. Yeah, God, that's... I cannot imagine wearing all those clothes back then. Right. It seems so like it seems so time consuming. Maybe when you don't have like TV and movies to watch, that's what you do. You're just like, oh, I got I got three hours till the play starts. I, I better just, just start putting on my powdered wig. <laughs> <laughs> it takes gotta let it sit for half an hour before you can move. Yeah, right. Gotta <laughs> gotta fasten my chin strap so it doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> Yeah, like, man, I feel like so often, like, I feel like oftentimes we're positive on movies because, like, we let guests, like, we let people choose for the most part, and so it ends up being something we feel good about. And, I don't know, it's not often that I'm surprised, I guess Network, which is also, you know, that that one's 70s, whereas this was 80s, like, kind of forgotten Best Picture winner in a way. Uh, maybe, maybe that you know when you watch a movies that were considered really good at the time and that are kind of forgotten now, it's crazy that they turn out to be good. Right. But I don't know. Like, it's it's refreshing to go back to these because it does feel it was three decades ago. Things were very different then. Well, you know, yeah, like things were a lot different. Yeah. Then. Movies were being made in different ways, and so there existed a time when Hollywood would spend money on this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, also that. Although even back then they were they were resistant to doing that. Okay, but, but see, back then they were resistant. If you went and pitched this now, they would have said like, "Uh, security." Three hour comedic biopic. Yeah. <laughs> With a powdered big budget of millions. 
it's like it's so stupid that this movie works but i, I love it for that oh yeah and man that's why i kind of like the 250 is there are some preposterous things about the imdb 250 uh deadpool being yep. at 100 uh the shawshank redemption being at number one christopher nolan being okay the god okay i mean what else is gonna go at number one though that's such a dubious discussion of like what is the greatest movie ever like who it is i just like the fact it's just like why the shawshank redemption like that like it just seems like such a weird movie to be a number but at the same time like such a non it's like not upsetting it's like the most inoffensive choice for number one in a way here's the thing it's a movie that's not controversial and everyone has a good opinion about yeah it's not one of those things where you argue about it you know, no, that's, like that's what I mean ones. by like inoffensive. It's it is. So everyone logs on like, oh hey, I like that movie. Ten out of ten. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why. Which there are a lot of movies like that, and then there are also the movies that appeal to the Christopher Nolan fan base who have a very strong presence on the. Yes. IMDb why is Interstellar on this list? <laughs> it's like twenty nine or something. Is it too. seriously? It's really high up. Oh. Um, uh, but it's yeah, 30, like thirty one. But that's it, it has a very strong presence of older movies compared to like many lists and it I it causes me to go back and appreciate these things that I would be hard pressed like it would be I can't imagine when I ever would have watched Amadeus beside like if without having this. I would have seen that three hour runtime, have not heard that much about it, and just gone, Whoa <laughs> No. No. <laughs> I can watch like three episodes of I don't know, name any show that isn't House of Cards on Netflix instead. Do you also not like House of Cards? I have seen every episode of House of Cards, and I don't know why, because it's not good. I don't like, I can't get into it. It's not good. Yeah, I don't know. Like, especially like, if you don't like the first season, like, don't even bother. Yeah. The first season's the best season, probably. The fourth season's better than the third season. Like, oh, my God. Why? Do, why? Why? I am a slave to Netflix. I don't, ugh. And now we enter chapter three of our podcast, where we talk about House of Cards. I've already watched almost all of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, I started watching it last night. It's just a fun show. So good. It really is. Ellie Kemper's the best. There was one, I can't remember what it was, but I remember they said something that actually like made me physically like spit out what I was eating at the moment. Um. Oh, there are a couple of those. There's a Hamilton joke in, in one of the episodes, like, one of my friends actually got annoyed with me that I spoiled that there was a Hamilton joke. I didn't even say what the joke was. I'm like, oh, the Hamilton joke. They're like, why did you say anything? So, spoilers. There's a Hamilton joke in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and it destroyed me. Dude, why'd you spoil that? Oh, man. <laughs> so, Amadeus. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like we kind of wrapped it up. I think and... I think we've decided, once we moved on to other topics, that we are done with this discussion. Which we talked about it less than Batman vs. Superman, even though we liked it a lot more. Yeah, sorry, Amadeus. That's well, that's the thing. It's like, it's interesting, but it's also not... It's not like... It wasn't a game-changing movie. It was. It didn't, like, change cinema as we know it. It obviously but has neither will Batman be Superman. Yes. Here's the thing. I think it's just easy. I mean, how many times can you go over, yeah, I liked it. As opposed yeah. to Batman v Superman has like so many flaws, you just want to crack your knuckles and go, "All right, bitch, listen up." And also with Amadeus, it isn't like there are all these many different things that are crazy good about it. It's like the the uh, frenemies at the at the center are really fascinating. The fact that it's this long biopic that's funny is like there are just like these three or four main points that make it really good and really interesting and still relevant. And you kind of hammer those home so many times, and other than that, you're like, well. The supporting performances are pretty cool too. 
uh, and I'm like, I don't feel like nitpicking the historical accuracy of it. Like, there's some interesting stuff about, in there about what actually happened and whether Salieri actually slept with her and maybe or whether the they were even actually that close. I mean, yeah, like, ob- and, like if I, nitpicking biopics is the most least interesting thing, especially when it's a overtly fantastical. It is the case. lowest form of criticism. Yeah, like if like I just. It's a Apart unless the movie, unless, uh, it, unless the movie is from the beginning, like this is based on a true story. Everything happened. In that case, you're setting it up for yourself up for it. But if the movie, it's just based on a real person, whatever, you know. And if it says that at the beginning, it's probably a crappy horror movie. Oh God, it probably is. Jesus, like found footage. Everything is totally real, and if you don't believe oh. me, fuck you. It's like. It's like, yeah, like, just like shaky cam footage, that was cool for a hot minute, but after that, like, cool. Most movies at this point are based on real events. It's not interesting. Like, oh, someone had an exorcism once? Oh, God. Oh, no. Someone else had an exorcism, too? Jesus Christ. Did you know there's a movie called The Last Exorcism 2? Yeah. (laughs) There are new exorcism movies. Like, exorcism of different women here. I think there was an... There was one about a man, and I was like, whoa, I know, right? That's weird. What? It's a dude now? Man, we're making progress. Man, I guess the devil does not... He's just... He's into whatever you give him. I just, like, with those movies, it's like... You know, the the, the exorcism of insert. It's like the same thing every time. It's like, the the devil gets in you, he makes you say some naughty words, makes you play Twister... I actually feel bad. Like there are probably like there are probably some good exorcism movies that aren't The Exorcist, but no. they're so buried in all these other ones that you'll never know. I don't think you'll never are. know. Because all exorcism movies that came after The Exorcist rip off The Exorcist. Pretty much. That's they do. That's like at that's... least if there's exorcism in the title, it's probably not worthwhile. Yeah, because like seriously, I've seen several of these like exorcism movies, and at, like they all like. They're all some, like, you know, little tiny, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, China doll of a girl. The only one I've heard good things about is, recently, is The Taking of Deborah Logan, which is about an old woman, and also was smart enough not to put The Exorcism of Deborah Logan (laughs) as its title. Yeah, they probably realized that. They're like, oh, shit. Which is, well, one, they probably don't have the copyright. Two, there's probably already a movie called The Exorcism of Deborah Logan. (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure there's a movie called The Exorcism of Ben Rentenhouse somewhere. They just insert names. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of like they actually they go for like stock business card images online and pick the names from there. That'd be so fucking funny if one of these days, like the the the, the DVD po- or the the poster is just like a like a, a stock image with a filter on it. Oh my god, that Jesus. Okay, I guess I'll do a quick. I guess it's going to be like an IMDb trivia. I don't have Kayla here to do the fun trivia. Okay, so I'm going to combine the two. So I mentioned this earlier, so it's kind of a callback. The only movies to win Best Picture without uh, entering the weekend, without hitting the box office top five, uh, starting in 1982 when box office stats started being recorded, are the English Patients, uh, the Hurt Locker, the Artist, Birdman, and I'm Dates, obviously. And I believe that Birdman is the only one, only other one that's on the 250. Let me check. Amadeus is the only movie to have that distinction 
to making the 250. And I wonder if that's telling. I wonder if it's hard to be remembered and stay relevant and or at least please enough people that you get those ratings. Well, I mean, this is also the distinction is that this movie is better than all the other movies you named. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's why. That is also true. I remember I saw the Hurt Locker and I was a little underwhelmed by it. And, man, you know what I also forgot to do? A recommendation. Ben, what is your recommendation based off Amadeus? My recommendation would be the only other fun biopic I've ever seen, which is called Ed Wood. It has Johnny Depp in it. I own Ed Wood and still have not seen Ed Wood. It is a a biopic about the worst director of all time. Uh, Starring Johnny Depp, weirdly enough. Starring Johnny Depp, directed by Tim Burton who after his last few movies is actually in the running for worst director of all time. But oh, no. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Oh. oh, poor, poor, poor Tim Burton. Actually, you know what? Tim Burton's made a lot of money. He'll probably be fine. I'm, yeah, I don't think Tim Burton's going to be out on the sidewalk with a <laughs> playing the saxophone for tips. No? No, I don't think so. You, oh, man. That's a bummer. I was thinking about other possibilities. I'm like, you know, Almost Famous seems like a really good fit. It, um, like, Almost Famous would probably be the better recommendation in terms of at least seeming somewhat similar to Amadeus. Um, well, maybe not similar, but I don't know. It just seems it seems like a better fit. Everyone should go see Almost Famous anyway. I, yeah, you know, man, I, I was try. I, I I went too far going for Frank. I went too far. Let's settle for Almost Famous. Almost Famous is a really good movie about music and has some great music in it. And it's just like, it's, it's like, so it's, that movie is like so cool that it's kind of like uncool to like it now, which is, I wish that was the most hipster thing I'd said. To I don't make. give a fuck. Like who, I mean, who cares? <laughs> that honestly. It's, it's, it's a great movie. It makes me sad that Cameron Crowe doesn't know how to make great movies anymore. I think that was like uh, the one he did where it was like, cause everything else has been just either mediocre or very, what the fuck. I, I enjoyed Jerry Maguire. Oh, did he make Jerry Maguire? Yeah. I didn't he did know Jerry that. Maguire. Okay. Yeah. It's just like in the last couple of years, it's been Aloha and we bought a zoo and, but Almost Famous is a great movie. I really enjoy that. Probably the peak of Kate Hudson's career. And yes. yeah, that's that's honestly my recommendation for okay. a great movie thing. I'll it's, allow it. It's not a total biopic, but you know, it pulls a lot from my, from things that actually happened. You know, kind of. Oh well. Anyways, that has been our show for today. A uh, little looser than normal. Uh, this is what happens when I am. Uh, hosting without kayla here to guide me i found trivia oh you found more trivia there is a lot of good trivia for this movie yeah go ahead and shoot okay so this interesting piece of trivia is that before tom hulse got the role of mozart do you know who else auditioned oh yes i saw this um besides tim curry there were some really really ridiculous ones read them off mark hamill yep yep i knew that mel gibson (laughs) that's right kenneth brenna which actually probably would have been pretty good Okay. And Mick Jagger. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. The Mick Jagger version of this movie is such a train wreck. Yeah. Uh, also the Mel Gibson. Oh my god. That would have that have been like Russell Crowe and Les Mis level of like, what is... Why? See, I actually think Russell Crowe is pretty good in Les Mis. That's, that's probably not fair to Russell Crowe who like actually can 
sing. Yeah, that's like he was. I don't get. Maybe not in the Les Mis style as much. Okay, but. people were like so mean to Russell Crowe. I didn't think he that. was that. And I'm like, are you listening to what Hugh Jackman is doing right now? He's not that much better. Hugh Jackman, Jackman is like just such a showman. He, I know he went for it, but like also a much more likable human. That that might be true. I don't know. Like Mel Gibson's a pretty good actor, though. I mean, mm-hmm. he's not a good person. No, no. But like, I don't think his performance of Mozart would have been like him screaming anti-Semitic slurs. <laughs> Probably not. But you know what? He, he might have had some notes. Oh, that would have been awesome, though. I mean, just, oh if he played it like the way that he like screamed at his wife over the phone. He's making a comeback, by the way. He's like directing something. I can't remember what what this is gonna bother me now. All right. Well, while I look this up, uh, this has been uh, a rather unconventional episode of Let the Right Films In. Kayla and the whole crew. Well, I guess Kayla is the whole other half of the crew. But we'll be back next week. Until then, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Letterboxd, uh, Pinterest, Tiny Foursquare. Letter. Foursquare, check into our podcast. <laughs> uh, you, you can find all those links. Just go to soundcloud.com slash pod to find us and like just hit me up on Twitter or something if you actually need the links. Chances are you probably know where we are. Uh, this has been Let the Right Films In. And you know what? I'm gonna We've already talked about it. I'm going to let Jurassic Park and The Revenant off the hook this week. I'm going to say we'll see you at the parents' conference. And I like Jurassic Park. Or Jurassic, what is it, Jurassic World? Yeah, it's Jurassic World. I will defend that movie. It is not a piece of trash. Good night. Now I feel so betrayed. Jesus. Tyler, the devil can't get into Chris Evans. He's too holy. Oh, oh, Jesus. Uh, You know what the worst part is? So I'm recording this in the bedroom next to a dresser. Yeah. On the dresser next to me. Chris Evans. There is a tiny Captain America figure. Okay. There is a Captain America pencil cap cover thing. And I'm pretty sure in this drawer there is some brand new, yet-to-be-opened Captain America thigh-high socks. Thigh high? Damn it. Well, like knee high. Oh. Probably knee high. <laughs> it's like, what? Not thigh high. I said thigh high. I'm like, nah, that's, that's a little too over the top. Yeah, I, I, I just realized as we have the discussion, I'm toying with this little Captain America figure, and I'm just like, God, he's everywhere. Okay, so yes, apart from Civil War, which Marvel movie are you most psyched for? Um, oh, Black Panther or Captain Marvel. Ooh. Here. So Pirates of the Caribbean 1 and 2, like, I think they're adventure movies. On the level of, like, Indiana Jones. That's how good I think they are. Damn. Yeah, I'm going to say it. Maybe... I'm going to leave that in, too. Yes. It's leave, not it fired. In. leave it in. Maybe even better. Take that out. <laughs> but, um... <laughs> so the third one came out in the summer of 2007. Early summer. Mm-hmm. Um, Same year as... Or same time... I think maybe, like, two weeks before or after Spider-Man 3. I can't remember. <laughs> and so... 
I saw Spider-Man 3, and I was so, <laughs> like, that was, really, really the first encounter I ever had with, like, disappointment. Yep. Of being, like, uh, of being like so hyped for something and just getting into that age where you like start to have like critical facilities about you and like understand why movies are good. Yep. And I was like, I walked out of Spider-Man three being like, well, that was okay. Right. I mean, it wasn't bad. It couldn't be bad. And so I went into like Pirates of the Caribbean three, two weeks later being like, all right, this is going to redeem it. I'm going to love this movie. And Pirates of the Caribbean three is so bad. That it tainted my want to ever watch the other two for uh, up until last night for like ten it's, years. It's it's bad. It's really bad. Uh, both those third movies are really bad, and they suffer and from the I, same problem too. I'm not sure if that's better or worse than my realize like introduction to movies can be terrible, which was the Wicker Man remake. <laughs> I just rented it. I didn't know you expected like, that to be good. I didn't know movies at the time. Oh. I just didn't know. I didn't know movies could be terrible that and i bad. watched it i'm like oh yeah guys did you know movies could be bad no, but that was one of those where i was like i knew movies could be Rider. bad i'd seen and bad Ghost movies happened. but Nicolas cage but like the first two spider-man the first two pirates of the caribbean were like yeah. my first loves mm. and so you go into those movies being like nah they're not gonna be bad they're gonna be fucking awesome everyone shut the fuck up and then they, when they're bad it's like wait it's a betrayal. It's, it, it, you have to reevaluate kind of what your life is about and if you even want to continue being a geek or not. Oh, my God. And I was almost like, I don't even know if I like this thing anymore. Like, I might as well just go play football. <laughs> no. Well, fortunately, it didn't break it, it. didn't break you that much. There have been some things that almost did, but no. <laughs> I almost took up sports that day. Yeah. Like, once when I saw the first two Fantastic Fours and X-Men 3, I was like, you know what? I think I'm over this. Comic book movies aren't going anywhere. 